This is The Politics of Everything, and I'm your host, Amber Danes. Welcome to the podcast where we want to discuss the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment to equality, and much more. Our guests are experts in their field or topic of choice, even if you've not yet heard their name. This is a bipartisan podcast, so while we love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate, by no means is this a one-sided forum for any one political view. So please listen up and enjoy The Politics of Everything. This marks episode 19 of The Politics of Everything. We're breaking from tradition today and shaking up the show format, and I have two guests in the one episode. Tracy Hall and Jerry Penny met by chance in a direct selling company in 2013, of all things. Jerry actually let her car roll down a street. What a beginning. Luckily, no one was hurt. Their friendship has really blossomed from here, and they've attended a conference together in 2014 and started to understand that their personal and business values aligned. Sounds like a great business match. Jump forward to last year, and both women were still on their own direct sales businesses, but realized that they shared some common ground in their ethics, integrity, and skill set in building great relationships. As business partners, Tracy and Jerry started off delivering education workshops around Melbourne, and today they run Excelling in Direct Sales, an online business in direct sales business that is changing the way customers approach the industry. Fittingly, we're discussing the politics of direct sales. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you very much. We're so glad to be here, Amber. It's um, it's a big thing, direct selling, and I think it's come a long way since my images of door-to-door salespeople, which I can recall in my childhood in <laughs> Australia in the 80s and even in the 90s. Can maybe each of you share quickly your view of what direct sales does for business? Maybe Tracy first and then Jerry. Sure. Yeah, well, it's funny because the business model has been around for over 130 years, Amber, so it's not something that's new. And yes, door-to-door salespeople is something that was around and probably still is in some way. The, the, the fact that that's how business used to be is so different to what it is now. However, I started when there was no computers and there was no smartphones. So I had to do the hard yards and I had to go out and meet the customers face-to-face to actually even get a business going. However, Jerry's in a different kettle of fish to me. Yeah. So tell us your journey, Jerry. Yeah, well, so, you know, I got started in the days of, you know, the internet already existed, didn't quite have a smartphone yet, but I actually started out doing a bit of door-to-door because I was doing Avon as my first company. Oh, I loved a bit of Avon. Obviously, I, I came in the time where, yes, all that technology was changing. And then um, in the company that Tracy and I met with, it was very, very focused on, you know, webinars and meeting people on Facebook and the global market was your market. There was no um, limitations to who you knew in your local neighborhood and things like that. So, you know, although the technology has really changed over the years, you know, the one thing that hasn't changed is that, you know, your customers are still the same type of people, basically. But some people, we won't blame all, but some people seem to have forgotten the basics of building a uh, relationship with a customer first because they've got access to customers all around the globe 24-7 at their at their hands. You know, you can just friend someone on Facebook and you can send them a message on Messenger straight away. I think people have forgotten that doesn't give you the right to just start going, 
hi, thanks for the friend request and then sending you a 200-word copy and paste of what your business is and how fantastic it's doing and everything like that. People have completely forgotten about building relationships first. And so I think, you know, that that's that's actually been a bit of a downfall because yeah, people are forgetting these basic, you know, courtesy rules uh, when when telling people about their direct selling business, basically. That's so true. And I think, yes, particularly if you've grown up with online, I think there's a generational thing too where mm. if you've only ever had online, you think everyone is your, you know, I guess your your friend and potential customer, which is not always the case. Mm. So thinking about some of the biggest myths around direct selling, um, there's probably plenty of them, but there are any kind of big ones that you can shatter from, for us. Yeah. And can really, anyone really do this well or do you have to be a bit of a natural? Jerry, maybe you yeah. can jump in Yeah, well, one. you know, the biggest um, myth, of course, and it's the big, biggest objection from people is when they say, oh, isn't that a pyramid scheme? And, you know, people in the industry – they have their answer for that straight away that, you know, no, no, it's not a pyramid scheme. Well, a Ponzi scheme, for instance, is where, um, you know, you're buying into a program and there's actually not any products. Nothing really exists. You're just sort of buying in to buy in to buy in type thing. But, you know, all direct selling companies, they adhere to really strict guidelines and rules. They've got to be a member of the direct selling association. Well, they don't have to be, but the good ones are. And it's actually really hard to join the, you know, the DSA. And, but, you know, of, of all the direct selling companies, they really have to focus on their products. Obviously, the, you know, the benefits to the direct sellers is the MLM model, meaning that they can make more money than their upline, which you can't do in corporate, you know? So that's, you know, that's the benefits. But yeah, that's, that's always the biggest myth that, you know, in, Pyramid schemes, not pyramid schemes, pyramid structures exist everywhere. They exist in government. They exist in corporate. They exist in small business. There's always someone at the top. There's a couple of senior managers under there and there's a couple of general managers under there. And, you know, it all, it all ends up being a pyramid shape. Every sort of system and structure in the world is. So it's not, it's not a, um, it's not an objection that people can put forward anymore, basically. And just to um, clarify this, and I, I think I'm a bit confused too, and maybe some of the audience is, is that pyramid structure that we kind of refer to, we think of that some products from the 80s that was sort of like that, is that the same as network marketing? Well, so network marketing, MLM is multi-level marketing. So what that means is that the business that you're in has multiple levels of multiple levels of income, multiple levels of people, but that's the same as any corporate structure. But, you know, the great thing about, um, about the network marketing model is that you can actually, like I said before, you can earn more than the person that brought you into the company. You can earn more than the person that brought them in just based off the way that the the payments and everything and the commissions and everything work. It's really about you making the best of, of your own business. But in most cases, income is not capped. So that's a real benefit for people wanting to um, to get into the industry. And yes, anyone can do it really well. You know, most people, there's probably 1% of the population that are absolute naturals at doing this. But as long as you're coachable and you can be taught well, and there's so much great training out there in the industry, then anyone can do a really great job in this industry. 
That's interesting. It's, uh, it's definitely uh, changed some of my thinking around uh, direct selling. So is there a formula or a process that sort of a direct salesperson needs to master before they can even start to approach a customer? And is there any kind of, you know, framework for that to happen? I mean, is it all about emails or calls and social media engagement? It sounds like it's not. It's still face-to-face. And maybe, Tracy, you could share with us what your views are on that. Yeah, well, I got taught um, many, many years ago when I started because I've been around in the industry for nearly 30 years. So I started at five and we were taught that you Clearly. have two ears and one mouth for a reason. So zip it and listen, ask lots of questions, make sure that you understand what the customer or what the team member wants before you open your mouth. So that's something that I've lived by forever, forever pretty much that you you really need to understand that your friends and family might not be your customers. Your customers might be someone that you don't even know now. Your best team member might be someone that you haven't even met yet. So that's how I always looked at it because my friends and my family never, ever would go into my business and go, oh, yes, I want to buy from you. I always had to start the hard way, if that's what you want to call it. And you think those principles still apply? Even, you know, we've just sort of kind of gone through that idea that with social media, you know, the world is your potential network, but also there's that familiarity that people assume before they've even met you that is okay in terms of, I guess, pushing products and services. Well, I still think it still goes back to the fact that you've got to understand people. If you do not understand that that people do not want to be sold to. They want to buy, but they don't want to be sold to. So you ramming down their throat with this, these, oh, join my team. We have the best team. Join my product. We have the best product. It's not the right approach. Like Jerry said before, it's about building those relationships with people, understanding and asking lots of questions. So regardless of whether it's face-to-face or whether it's on the internet I have built some amazing relationships with people all over the world who are my friends now and not once have I ever spammed on them. Exactly. And obviously, you've got a successful business, so, you know, it must be working. So to think about your own your own business journey as a team, you've moved from face-to-face training, which is obviously quite labor-intensive and you can only be in one place at one time, to being online. What has that really enabled you both to achieve in terms of, I guess, scale and obviously the audience reach as well. Maybe Tracy first and then Jerry. Yeah, well, the thing is, when we first started, it was face-to-face because we didn't know each other's style or each other's way of getting the message across. And we realised that, like we, like you said before, Amber, that we were, had the same ethics, we had the same integrity, we had the same way to approach the business. And the more we kept working together, we're going, hang on, we're having to do all this time to go out to find these venues, book the venue, make sure it has all the the right Wi-Fi and all that sort of hoo-ha and still turn up and make sure we get bums on seats. Whereas, as Jerry said, because Jerry came up with it, why don't we do it online? And it's over to you, Jerry. Yeah. Oh, did I come up with the idea? Did I? Right. <laughs> okay. I'll take all the credit. Uh, but Amber, look, one of the things that we, one of the major things you learn when you're in a direct selling company is the power of passive income. And so that's, that's so, you know, in depth in our brains and our beliefs that we, we were having to create a business that had some form of passive income. So that's why you put an online course together, basically, because once you've got all the hard work done and it's all recorded, 
a lot of the income coming in is for the work that you've done in the past. It's not for what you're currently doing hour for hour. And, you know, that's that's why we took it online. So we're still doing uh, face-to-face stuff, but it's pretty much all one to many, you know, where we are touring Australia over the next um, couple of years, and but it's all to get people onto the online course basically. And but we realise the um, this, the importance of you still have to be out there meeting people face to face because they need to know, like, and trust you before they'll buy from you. And they're not going to just do that from a single Facebook video, you know. That's right, and I guess that's what I wanted to touch on just to unpack for the audience the idea that you can create all this amazing content and you can put it online and there's a lot of people doing things online now is that sense of passive income and reaching a lot of people to to scale your business but how do you engage with them how do you actually market the products online or the services online once you've put together your online um you know packages yeah well it's that's that's when it gets down to just getting people to know like and trust you so we do we personally do a lot of tip videos one day we smashed out like 15 videos in one day and we send those out we've got free webinars and things like that so people are just seeing all the content and the um you know the amount of tips that we're giving them um you know they see that as valuable and they say wow i could really learn some more from these guys and i'm starting to know them i'm starting to like them and i'm starting to trust them so so no like and trust is the is the big thing. And and just to jump in there with with that, do you, is there a sense of you've given them a bit of stuff for free? Do a lot of people just go, oh, that's enough for me? And then you end up kind of, yeah, I guess, wasting time potentially with people that don't actually ever buy anything from you? Uh, actually, we set up something that I thought of was doing 15-minute strategy sessions with people. They've seen our stuff. They're getting a 15-minute strategy session with us for free. So I speak to them and just go, hey, what's one challenge? So even before they've even spoken to us, I've got them to fill out a form so I know where their challenges are. And if we can help them with one, they we're showing that we can actually help them with the other challenges they have. So this is something we've introduced as well. That's a great idea. So in terms of the online um packages and programs that you you operate what kinds of businesses can get benefit from them jerry maybe you can jump in here i guess it's really the the types of individuals businesses as well but you know mostly our package is aimed at mums or dads that work from home they need to they have prioritized their family first you know and yeah basically people that people that want to work from home and whether it's their plan A or their plan B, most people it's a plan B first, but we try to tell people let's get you from your plan B and get it to your plan A. So make this your primary source of income for your family. You know, a lot of people do this just um, because they say, I want to put the kids in private school through this income. I want to um, send my family on holidays. I want to pay for my car. In a lot of cases, it's it's the mums wanting to contribute more to the family, even though they still are at home with the kids day to day basically so that's the type of people that really suits and but also having said that it also really suits people that are you know they're running their own business but at the end of the day all business owners are in direct sales because they have to directly sell their product too unless they've already hired um, sales staff which most of them haven't you know they're not usually in that situation they, um, you know, you might have a really technical guy and he's really great at all the IT stuff that he does, but at the end of the, 
end of the day, he's still got to understand how to directly sell and market his product and be a people person at the same time because that's why people will buy from him. Um, it's not it's not necessarily because of his technical skills. It's, it's going to be because of his people skills. That's totally a great insight to have. So in 2014, um, I got the statistic from the internet, so who knows if it's true. <laughs> direct Sales Australia estimated that nearly 100 million people around the world were involved in some sort of direct selling, creative annual sales figures of, and this is in US dollars, $182 billion. That's a lot of money. Mm. Sales have obviously increased um, by almost 20% over the past three years, they say, and the Asia-Pacific region represents about 45% of all global sales. So how does Australia compare to other parts of the world when it comes to direct selling? Are we, are we good at it? Are we Get, get better at it and why does it work better in some countries than perhaps others? Well, Amber, it's funny that question came up because I love that statistic. It, it, it actually is probably more than 100 million people who are actually in the direct sales or multi-level marketing or direct marketing, whatever you want to call it. There is probably a lot more people in it. And yes, when I was doing a direct selling company, our figures were much, much higher per cap, per person in sales than they were doing in America, which was really, really fascinating. What we've noticed and the trend is that these new companies that are coming through are actually opening their bases in Australia because it's the gateway to the Asia because we have such a great multicultural society here. So they're going, oh, right, we'll have a stepping stone. We'll go into Australia, set it all up. They've got Australian, Asian contacts. Let's go over and let's do it that way. And they are getting booming results. That's interesting. So I think it's interesting to think about that. I mean, I think of, um, I guess, nations as a whole, and it's hard to generalise, that are good at sort of, I guess, um, selling. I think of like America as kind of that kind of hallmark of that. And I guess Australia is not too far behind. Are there cultural differences between how you might direct sell in Australia and perhaps Asia that you're aware of? Absolutely. There is a lot of different ways to work in Asia. My friend works in a business and she said that they started up in Japan. She couldn't actually sell to the Japanese because their their culture is so closed off of that. She had to get a team started in Japan and then they were able to talk to her. It's, it's I don't want to I looked at it and went, I don't want to have people all over that I've recruited personally. I want to have my team doing all of that and then find these people that can take the team and blitz it. That's great. Yeah, no, that, that's it's interesting, that insight. I thought that might be the case. And I guess, um, Jerry, any thoughts you might have on, on that particular, the cultural differences you might have experienced in your career? Yeah, I, I think a lot of people, um, you know, they do think that the, the global audience is, is, their, is their potential customer. But in the end, it, with cultural differences, it is sometimes hard to get into um, people with at, at other countries, in other countries, sorry. And so often you, you do see uh, team members in network marketing reaching out to a local contact. So, hey, I've met you in Australia. I understand that you're from this area. You know, would you like to go and grow a team in your country because you know the language, you know the people, you know the culture and things like that. So um, it, it, is, it is harder than some people think, you know, I think than um, just thinking, oh, I can just message someone in Zimbabwe and they'll be open to opening up a business in their country straight away. It's, it's, it's not that case. You, need, you usually need a local foot in the door basically. 
I agree. And I must admit, I, through LinkedIn, I, I just share this and I won't name names, but I had a contact that I don't really know, but she knew a lot of mutual friends of mine um, who was coming to Australia and had a network marketing business in the cosmetics field and was like, let's catch up for coffee. I think this could be a great fit for you. And I just felt, I felt quite affronted because it's sort of, I've never presented myself as a direct selling mm. person in that sense. Um, I have different expertise. We didn't know each other and I'm thinking coffee and then I'm like, don't know you. And, you know, you just, it just didn't feel like a very natural approach, but I, I assume that she may have had success across America doing that. But I just felt like there's just too many unknowns in that for me to even explore it. It's funny you say that, Amber, because when a new company comes to Australia, you start to see more and more messages. So I had a stage like only a few weeks ago that I had 30 requests a day for new friends. And I'm 30. Wow, you popular lady. <laughs> wow, 30. And they're all different or they were from the same company but different people. Is that what you're sharing? No, they were from different companies because at the moment there's over 300 direct selling companies in Australia and it's growing. There's more and more coming out every single month. Mm, that's totally interesting. So just to change tack a little bit and maybe, Jerry, you can go first on this and then Tracy. I'm a big believer that people don't get to where they are without some sort of inspiration and whether it's people they've met, mentors they've had, previous em employers or even staff. Do you have any people that you've drawn inspiration from? And if so, what have they taught you about business and even life? For me, you know, I've come from a marketing and relationship marketing background and it was probably a good few years ago that I heard the story of Mary Kay Ash. So you all know the company Mary Kay. Mary Kay Ash, uh, she started this in the early 60s and she was just right up there straight away with, first of all, she was providing awesome opportunities for women at that time because, you know, in the early 60s, it was still very much, you're the housewife, you stay home and cook and clean and you put on your lipstick at five o'clock when your husband comes home and serve him a whiskey, you know. So she was providing women with these amazing opportunities to get out there and um, network with each other. But she also had this amazing focus on customer service, relationship marketing. You know, she, she said, you send everyone that you meet a thank you note in the mail, you know. And oh, I you, love that. you can still do that today. You know, I've got this online tool that we use to send out cards to people in the mail because today that really stands out as being different. You know, you're letting people, you've got to let people know that you appreciate them and that you thank them for your business. I often get up at a networking event and I ask to a group of 80 people, how many of you have thanked your customers this year? And very little of them even put up their hand. You know, what, you've never even said thank you personally or sent a thank you card or a Christmas card or, you know, a birthday card or anything like that. And no, no, most people are not doing that because it's, it's so transactional based. You know, everything's just a transaction. And at the end of the day, we're all people. We're humans dealing with humans. And Mary Kay did start a great thing there because she, she was the follow-up queen before Tracy Hall was known as being the follow-up queen. <laughs> That's totally interesting. And for you, Tracy, do you have anyone that comes to mind that you think of as quite sort of inspirational in your in your career journey? Oh, just watching Richard Branson. Um, he he's he's like me. I'm all about the people and all about the passion of the people and the growth and the personal development of the people. You know, he started his company and his motto was look after the staff because if you look after the staff, the staff will look after the customers. And he's grown his business to what it is today and we aspire to be some, 
something like him. I feel that he has a lot of added value to what he's doing in his business. And it really, I look at that and I go, wow, I'd love to be like you because he is so passionate about his people. He is passionate about his people. And I think it's also that risk-taking model. I mean, before the term disruptor was was on trend in the business world, that's always what he did. From I remember when Virgin Airlines launched and then um, when I lived in the UK uh, many years ago, you know, they did Virgin Bride for a while and he kind of came out in a in a bridal outfit mm-hmm. and walked through um, the streets of Ox- Oxford Circus. And, you know, it was all about attention, but it was also about just changing what people's perception of what that business was going to going to do and offer people. So yeah, he's definitely inspirational. So if we could wrap up today just by sharing um, perhaps what you both believe make the politics of direct sales work best for business owners of all shapes and sizes, that would be a great takeout for the audience. Tracy, would you like to step in? Step one, follow up. Step two, see step one. <laughs> it's like fight club. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, definitely the follow up. That's one big takeaway for me today. Yeah. And Jerry, for you? Well, yes, that's why Tracy's known as the follow-up queen. But uh, people in the past have called me the nurture queen uh, because because of my background. And so I don't know if you know this, Amber, but did you know that 68% of customers leave a business just to perceived due to a perceived indifference? It's it's huge. You know, they're basically customers. It doesn't surprise me because I'm thinking about, as you're saying that, I'm actually picturing companies that I've been with for a long time, whether they be credit card companies or banks or whatever, and I've just gone nuts. This is not working. You, people just think, oh, they don't care about me. It's not on price. It's not on this. It's not on that. You know, it, the other stats are tiny. So nearly 70% just because, you know, you think that they don't care about you. And that's when we, we come into, um, we love to talk about the leaky bucket theory. And that's, you know, you can all visualize this. You've got your bucket, right? Your metal bucket. And, um, you start filling it up with customers, filling it up, filling it up. And then all of a sudden you start to spring a leak here and you spring a leak there. And, and you're wondering why are these leaks occurring? And you put a band aid on one and you put a band aid on another, but it still leaks out the side. And the only way to plug that is with, the RM plug. So that's the relationship marketing plug. You're finding out what are you doing wrong? You do, you do sort of, you know, customer research and things like that. Find out what you're doing wrong, how you can do it right. Just start plugging those holes with actually caring about what your customers think, um, letting them know that they're appreciated, letting them know that they're thanked, that, you know, that you're thanking them. And this is the perfect opportunity for people in a direct sales business because they are having the direct contact with their customers. So they are in the perfect situation, unlike a, a completely online transactional business or something like, you know, Optus is never going to ring me up and thank me, are they? Or, um, you know, Westinghouse is not going to ring me up and go, thank you for buying that new dishwasher. How are you finding it? It's just not going to happen. So in the direct sales industry, you're in this perfect, perfect situation to, to have that human interaction with people and keep that leaky bucket plugged and whole, uh, complete and overflowing with money, basically. That's great advice. Well, thank you so much for your time today. If you do want to connect further with Jerry and Tracy, there will be their details on the show notes. You've been listening to The Politics of Everything. Until next time, keep well. Thanks for listening today. If you've enjoyed The Politics of Everything, we thrive on feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network and your friends and family. I'm also always on the hunt for fabulous new guests. So if you've got a view to share and an idea how to get our listeners excited, please email me at amber at bespokecoms, that's B-E-S-P-O-K-E-C-O-M-M 
www.ebs.com.au and we'll be sure to get back to you. Until next time.